Thank you for listening to the Renovation Church Podcast. We're a family that believes you matter, and together we can do something that matters. We hope that this podcast aids you in your spiritual journey toward Jesus. If we can serve you on that journey, please let us know by visiting our website, renovationchurch.com. We always love to hear how the ministry of renovation is impacting your life. The best way to let us know is by leaving a review or tagging us on social media. Wherever you are in the world, know that Jesus loves you and we love you. Enjoy the podcast. Glad for the spirit that's in this house today. Um, can we rejoice before the Lord? Not for me, but just because God is good. Amen. Uh, if this is your first time with Renovation, welcome. Very special welcome to you, particularly uh, if you would not consider yourself a follower of the way of Jesus. Uh, two things we want you to know from out the gates is, one, that this is a place where you can belong before you believe. And that's important for you to understand that this is a community that you can belong to before you believe what we believe. And two, that this is a place where you can belong while you work out what you believe. So if you're in a season of deconstruction or questioning or wondering exactly who Jesus is to you, this is a safe place to ask those questions with people who love you. Uh, if you want to follow along with some Bible notes today, hit that QR code. That's also where you're going to find your bulletin. And so if you want to know what's going on in the life of your church, hit that QR code. Last time we were together, we saw the beautiful truth that we can position ourselves through the practice of spiritual disciplines to be certain, listen, certain when God is speaking to us and leading us. If you missed that message, it may be worth going back to listen to because I know that is a big question for all of us. Is God speaking? When is God speaking? We can be certain of that through the practice of certain disciplines. Today, we arrive at that pivotal moment in the Jesus revolution. The disciples have waited with expectation for the fulfillment of God's promise, and now it is here. When the days of waiting were over, the Holy Spirit came upon the assembled group of disciples in a new way, accompanied by supernatural signs and causing them to burst into praise to God in languages other than their own, speaking in the mother tongue of those listening. Many were amazed, but some were ready to seek a rationalist and somewhat discreditable explanation of what was happening. You know, in the 21st century, Pentecost has become a source of confusion, embarrassment, or division for many Christians, even as it has become a curiosity, if not an object of ridicule for those who are not. And yet it is a pivotal moment in the life of the church. And so the question I put before you today is what is repeatable, what is unrepeatable of that miraculous outpouring of the Spirit and of speaking in tongues? Well, Luke helps us sort through the various reactions to Pentecost, so that for us, it can become a comfort and the challenge that it was meant to be. So we're going to jump in today in uh, Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1. We're just going to read through the first four verses here. If you have a paper or a digital Bible, or you're free to follow along on the screens. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven, there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. The word of the Lord, and if you would say with me, thanks be to God. Father, we pray now that you would speak and move through your word and power. Hide me beneath your hand so that we might see the glory 
of the living God together so that we might hear the call Yahweh, the voice of God that can only be heard in the gathered assembly and that we might be moved toward you no matter where we are in our spiritual journey today. In Jesus' name, amen. You want to experience the all-encompassing divine presence of God. You do. So do I. How do I know this? How do I know this? Because there's a million ways you could spend your Sunday morning. There's a million things you could be doing right now. And yet, we are here together, both in the room and there online. We are here together. And I believe to my core that at the heart of why we are here, it is that we want to experience the transcendent nature of God. We do. Yes, some of us strive in the community of the church, praise God. And some of us might even be present out of some sense of duty. I get it. But underneath all of the other whys is an embedded longing to experience something transcendent. That longing is woven into our souls. Even if you are a skeptic, I imagine you have wondered what lies beyond what we consider the rational world. And if you have ceased to live with wonder, listen, if you have ceased to live with wonder, is that any way to live at all? In fact, Albert Einstein reflected on the same thing. He wrote this, the most beautiful experience we can have is the mysterious. It is the fundamental emotion which stands at the cradle of true art and true science. Whoever does not know it can no longer wonder, no longer marvel. Whoever that is, is as good as dead and his eyes are dimmed. It was the experience of mystery, even if mixed with fear, that engendered religion, a knowledge of something we cannot penetrate, our perceptions of the profoundest reason and the most radiant beauty, which only in their most primitive forms are accessible to our minds. It is this knowledge and this emotion that constitute true religiosity. If we can look to one of the great minds of any generation, we can see that even to him, the empirical, here's the point, the empirical, the provable, it's not all that there is. It's not all that there is. And so the question then is, what is hindering us from experiencing the all-encompassing divine presence of God? Well, there are two things, I think. Given an opportunity to consider, I believe you will agree. The two things that are primarily in our way is that, number one, we lack expectation. And number two, we lack preparation. We lack expectation and we lack preparation. By and large, we do not have an expectant faith. Please don't take it as shots fired. This is the time that I spent with the Lord this week asking him about myself. Ask, why am I not experiencing more of these things? Why am I not seeing more miracles? Why am I not experiencing more of your presence? And he said it to me as clearly as anything that my presence will meet your expectation. We don't have an expectant faith. We don't, not by and large. It is evident in our choices, in our spiritual rhythms, in our presence, or lack thereof. All of these betray the truth that our faith, by and large, lacks expectation. Along with a lack of expectation and closely related is a lack of preparation. Here's a question I will put before you today. Have you prepared yourself? And have you prepared your life to experience God's divine presence? And when I think of preparation, I don't want it to be nebulous. I'll tell you, when I think of preparation, what comes to mind above all things is holiness. 
the Spirit descends on prepared peoples and places. We have a lack of expectation. We have a lack of preparation. And alongside both of these, our host culture has conditioned us to trust the empirical over the spiritual. To trust what we can see more than what God has said. Even those of us who practice the way of Jesus struggle to trust the spiritual over what we consider to be the provable. And if you're anything like me, the tension surrounding these things leave you feeling pulled apart. You want to have faith for greater things. I believe that. You want to experience the all-encompassing divine presence of the living God. I believe that. You want to trust the spiritual over the empirical. I believe that. But you find yourself torn between two poles. Is it real if I can't see it? And yet everyone who practices the way of Jesus should be able to experience God's divine, transcendent presence. And listen, presence, and listen, I understand that feeling of being pulled apart. I've always been, you know this, if you've been here long enough, I've always been hyper-intellectual, right? Sometimes I know, I know what y'all do, right? I know there's a game out there about the words that I use. I've been told. They're like, did you bring your thesaurus today? I get it. I've always been hyper-intellectual. Yes, there is. I've always been hyper-intellectual. And, and honestly, quite frankly, I've always been hyper-skeptical. That's how I'm wired. And I've always been suspicious of emotions. Can I just tell the truth for a minute? I remember my parents, when they first took us to Bethany World Prayer Center, that's the church where I became a Christian. And it's a vivid memory that I have burned into my mind. My little brother, my late little brother and I, we were mesmerized while simultaneously making fun of the people who were dancing and spinning and singing and shouting. You think this is a charismatic church? You have thought wrong. I mean, we are, but we not, right? We don't even have no flags. If it ain't no flags, we're like just scratching. We're, we're like charismatic with a seatbelt on. It's like, woo, it's like roller coaster charismatic. Ain't nobody spinning and dancing in here, right? And I remember my brother and I were sitting back and we were watching this. And, and, and then the healing line started. And they lined up all the people in the front and, and people came down from healing for healing. And I remember sitting there. Now, you got to understand, 15 years old, I was already a jerk. And I remember, <laughs> I remember sitting there thinking to myself, listen, self-awareness is a great gift. Thinking to myself, you can't just pray sickness away. These people need to go to the doctor and stop wasting their time. Not long after that, my mother came home from a doctor's appointment with terrible news. There was a lump in her chest that looked like cancer. And I watched this woman, and I believe she's watching right now. Good morning, Mama. I watched this woman. She never panicked. She never freaked out. She began to pray. She invited other people to pray with her, her friends, believing, believing that the all-encompassing divine presence of God could defy logic. Oof. She went back to the doctor for her follow-up. Can I testify for a minute? And the doctor could not find the lump that they were previously sure was cancer. And that moment, how did the kids say it? That moment was one of my canon events. I remember the transformation that happened in my faith in that moment. I remember what it felt like the first time, not the last time, mind you. The first time my skepticism and intellectualism were submitted to the Spirit of God. And over the years since, 
In many more instances than I have time to share, God has shown me time and again that I can experience the power of his presence in ways that defy my logic, and he will do the same for you if you will open your hearts and minds to the possibility, just as the first disciples did. In fact, amen, I like this. Whatever this is today, keep it up. It made me preach better. It made me preach better. I just want you to know. When I go, when I travel and I go to these, you know, these black Baptocostal churches, it's like, oh, are we doing this? Y'all could have so much more. Uh, Luke draws us back into the story with a glorious announcement. The day of Pentecost has arrived. The start of the revolution of the intimate, as Dr. Willie Jennings says, has begun. Pentecost is a canon event in history. All together in one place in the upper room, the disciples wait in prayerful unity for the spirit to come. And there was only one word that I was, I was, I was working through this text, and I was like, what, what is a word that grabs this? What is a word to capture this moment? Here are 120 people, that the, but they followed Jesus, and then Jesus died, and then they were like, oh, my God, it's over. And then Jesus got up, and they were like, oh, my God, he's here. And then Jesus was like, I'm ready to restore the kingdom. And they're like, let's get the horses and the swords. And Jesus was like, no, not like that. Goodbye, right? <laughs> and here they are now gathered in one place, waiting for what Jesus promised. And there's only one word that I could come up with to describe their posture, expectation. Jesus told them where to be. Jesus told them how to be. And they showed up, obeyed, and waited, listen, with expectation for God to do what he promised. And I got to tell you today, if you hear me, if you hear my heart, If you want to experience the all-encompassing divine presence of the Spirit of God, if you want a transcendent experience of God in community, then you must live with expectation. You must live with it. You must live with it. Live with expectation. Expectation is a powerful thing. In fact, one of my friends who pastors a church here in Atlanta now, he shared an interesting perspective with me on expectation. You see, before he came here and planted a church here, he pastored in Birmingham, Alabama. And on the opening day of their church here in Atlanta, uh, he was shocked, appalled, dismayed at how empty the room was when the service started. Now, I got to give you out, take, take your right hand, raise it up, please. Put it right here. And pat yourself on the back, because y'all was mostly here today about 10.05. I'm proud of you. You know, I threatened to pray for your sleep to be messed up a couple months ago. I never stopped. I never stopped. And I'm starting to see the fruit of those seeds sown. They have service at 9.30 and 11.30. And he said, crump, crump. I looked out there, bruh. 9.45, we had more people on the stage than we had in the room. Now, of course, in true Atlanta fashion, things work themselves out. But he asked me, he asked me if he had missed something or if this was just normal Atlanta. And I said to him, that's Atlantis, being Atlantans, always in a hurry, never on time. (laughs) Never on time. And here's what he told me. And, and, And I've thought about this a lot since he did. He said, you know, bro, when I was in Birmingham, and I pulled up to church. Man, it was like a tailgate party in the parking lot. People were standing out front of their cars laughing and talking, sharing stories on their way into the church, chasing kids. 
It was like a tailgate party. And then the whole room would fill up as once as people flooded into the room when it was time for service. He said, I, I wasn't prepared to not experience that here. I said, well, you in a new town now, baby. And we'll continue to labor to see that change. You know, just this past week, my friend Josh, who pastors a very large church in Texas, posted a picture of their recent prayer meeting. 10,000 people showed up. Did you hear what I said? 10,000. Not to hear the word, not to get a word, not to sing songs. 10,000 people showed up to pray. To pray. Now, until we show up like that, then all this talk about what we want to see God do is just talk. That's what expectation looks like. In fact, he, he wrote in the caption to capture the moment. What I believe very well captures what happens here in Acts. And what I believe, listen, is the next step to us becoming the church that God intends for us to be. Here's what he wrote. He wrote, I can't explain this other than God shows up where he's wanted. God shows up where he's wanted. Where he's wanted. That, beloved, is expectation, the type of expectation that I and the other pastors and leaders here pray will sweep through the hearts of our spiritual family. Can you imagine the vibe in this place? If all the people who say they believe Jesus rose from the dead showed up early and expected to experience the transcendent presence of God, can you imagine what that would feel like? I dream about it and I pray about it every day. Do you want to see the sick healed? Do you want to see the lost found? Do you want to experience the love of God in tangible and palpable ways? Guess what? It starts with expectation. It starts with wanting God more than all of the other distractions that permeate your life and wanting him above everything. Suddenly, Luke tells us God gives signs of sight and sound, verse 2 and 3. The divine origin of each and the supernatural character is clear. The sound is from heaven like a violent wind blowing. The similitude of the wind to the Holy Spirit's coming suggests not only his absolute power, but his absolute uncontrollability, Dr. Willie James Jennings. I love that quote. The sound also fills the whole house, and what is awry is that all-encompassing and divine presence. It is reminiscent of the Old Testament scene where, where Solomon is dedicating the temple and it says that the Spirit of God so filled the temple that the priest could no longer minister. It is reminiscent of that scene from Isaiah chapter 6 where Isaiah says, in the, in the year of King Uzziah when he died, I, I saw the Lord in his temple high and lifted up and the train of the robe filled his temple and the pillars of the house shook the seraphim and the cherubim cried out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Here they are experiencing the same in this upper room. God's presence comes in and fills the entire place. Luke draws our attention to another phenomenon. Tongues appear in the shape of flames of fire. The divided tongues like flames of fire resting on each of the people, symbolizing the spirit of God, especially his power, the power Jesus promised to his people. 
And those on whom the outward signs rest experience an inner filling of the Holy Spirit. They are deluged by the Spirit of God. Luke uses this verb filled in order for us to understand that this is the first of many, not the only. And the same can be said for us. We don't have to be filled with the Spirit of God just once. We can be filled many times over the course of our lives. Remember what we said a couple of weeks ago. And if you weren't here, then let me tell you what I said a couple of weeks ago. Wherever we create capacity for more of God, he will take up that space by filling us with more of himself. As the Spirit inspires their speech, the believers speak in human tongues other than their native language. They speak in the mother tongue of those gathered there, a further sign that something extraordinary has happened. Acts 1.8 is being fulfilled all at once. As an aside, and I need to say this just for your learning, there are three different types of tongues that we see in the New Testament. We see the missionary gift of tongues, which is the ability to speak a language that you don't know for the sake of the gospel being preached to people who need to hear it. There is the private prayer language of tongues. Paul talks about this when he says, if I pray in the tongue of men and angels but have not love, I'm a clanging gong, I'm a banging cymbal. What he's talking about there is a private prayer language that the Spirit intercedes and prays for you. And then there's a prophetic tongue that requires an interpretation. So if you stand up and speak in tongues out in a room and nobody interprets it, I just want you to know I'm be like, that wasn't from God. I love y'all. Sit down, right? Because that kind of tongue requires an interpretation. And here we have that missionary gift of tongues, which gives God's people the ability to speak a language that they didn't know for the sake of sharing God's great deeds. The question I asked as I read this is, what of Pentecost does God want the church to respect in its life today? What is repeatable? Well, we should not necessarily expect the, the sight of tongues of fire or wind to blow through the room, but I've personally experienced the tongues of foreign languages. I can tell you that from my own experience down in South America when we began to pray in Spanish, and I cannot speak Spanish. I speak broken Portuguese on occasion and Creole, which is just French and African smashed together. But I don't speak Spanish. And yet as we were sitting there praying for a brother to, to, to be healed, we began to pray in his language and he perked up and he listened and he became a Christian and God healed his arm and then his whole family came and they got prayed for and they became Christians because that's what God is doing. If he can do it there in Guatemala, why not here? Expectation. Expectation. What's repeatable? We can experience that. Our experience may not be exactly as those of the first disciples, but in any era, we should expect to find God's church filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit. And if we're not experiencing the Spirit's filling, the question is why? Why? Well, the question that comes to mind when I consider the first is whether you and I meet the conditions of expectant prayer in holy lives. That's Pentecost's challenge. Pentecost's comfort is that God has not abandoned his church. If he sent his spirit before, he can do it again. He can do it in and through us. He can do it in and through us. But along with expectation, guess what? We have to do the preparation. Our lives and how we live them must lend themselves to an abundant outpouring of the spirit of God. We must have distinct, repentant, peculiar lives. And the spirit of God will come upon us as it has come upon so many expressions and generations of God's church. We, listen, listen, we cannot live worldly and want divine encounters with God. Those two things don't go together. Do the preparation. 
Do the preparation. Examine your heart, your mind, your life. Ask God to tear out anything that diminishes his presence in you. Be countercultural. Be a holy people. Be in the world, but not of it. And you will daily experience the all-encompassing divine presence of the living God. In fact, author Jerry Bridges writes this, we are 100% responsible for the pursuit of holiness, and at the same time, we are 100% dependent upon the Holy Spirit to enable us in that pursuit. A holy life requires a new nature, and a new nature is born of the Spirit and our union with Christ. Holiness is a work of the Spirit, but it's also a work of the will. Listen, holiness is a work of the Spirit, but it's also a work of the will. He's not going to float you to a holy life. You've got to lean in. In fact, let me ask you a not-so-random question. Does anyone here know the primary cause of death for whales? I know, it seems so random. Stay with me. Does anybody know? They drown. Who said that? You get a gold star. They drown. They drown. And you think to yourself, well, a whale is a fish. How can a fish drown? Well, it's not a fish. It's a mammal. It's a water-borne mammal. And if a whale fails to come up from the sea and breathe in life, it eventually will drown. And as I thought about that, I thought about us. That if we don't come up for air, as we swim in the sea of culture, if we don't come up for air, as we deep dive into the sea of culture, then eventually we're going to drown too because we are in this world. We are not of this world, just like a whale is in the water, but it is not of the water. If you don't come up and breathe in the life-giving presence of God and breathe in the life-giving nature of worship and breathe in the life-giving nature of the Word and breathe in the life-giving nature of the Spirit, if you don't come up for air, you are going to drown. going to drown. And God would not have that for you. God does not want that for you. But he's not going to violate your will to get you to do his. The alternative is to live in such a way that God shows up and shows out every time. Like the disciples, we commit ourselves to prayer. That's what they did. They committed themselves to prayer. They obeyed Jesus and went to the place where he said they'd experienced God's presence. They did the preparation so that the spirit would descend on them. And if we will do the same, we will experience the same. Now, apparently the sound of the wind expanded beyond the house. I got to hurry up now. I got a little bit too into this. The sound of the wind expanded beyond the borders of the house. And onlookers began to show up. And they began to marvel at the miracle of speaking and hearing. They can understand these Galileans who are speaking in their own language and they shouldn't be able to. And the crowd's initial reaction shows us that God's powerful saving presence will always astonish us and challenge our current understanding of him and his ways. Turn toward God. Our surprise and our curiosity will become marveling. Luke enumerates the nationalities that cover countries from east of the Roman Empire all the way to the Isle of Crete and Arabia an indication that people from all over the known world were present and that one day they would go back and take the good news of God's powerful deeds to the people of their own places. The multilingual witness coheres with the universal offer of salvation in the church's message and mission. It highlights the church's multi-ethnic and multicultural character. God is not colorblind. He affirms his unique presence in the color of the people that he's made. 
and he affirms it in a cultural expression. All of them as worshipers of Yahweh could tell that the Christians were celebrating the mighty works of God and they marveled. And that's the last thing I want to put before you today. That if you want to experience the divine and all-encompassing presence of the living God, then you've got to marvel. You've got to marvel when God moves. Don't treat it. Don't treat it as run-of-the-mill. When we tell you stories of healings, people who got babies that they've been praying for for years, marvel. Marvel at the things that God does that man cannot produce. Because the more you marvel, the more expectation will be born in your heart. Because the more you experience the good, the more you're going to want of that good. Marvel when he moves. Marvel when it happens. Let wonder grip you again when you experience the divine presence of God. The crowd's astonishment, of course, progresses from marveling to perplexity as they try to figure out the why of this miracle. Some admit their inability to come up with an answer. And so they ask, what does this mean? Others mock, accusing the believers of being wasted. The question we should ask is how should we respond to the work of the Spirit in our midst? We must avoid the mockery of the scoffer who explains everything in empirical terms. We must be open to a divinely given explanation. To a divinely given explanation. According to one theologian, the mixed reaction of the Pentecost crowd also teaches us that the miraculous is not self-authenticating, nor does it inevitably and uniformly convince. There must be the preparation of the heart and the proclamation of the message of miracles are to accomplish their full purpose. And so here's what I would say to you today. Live with expectation. Do the preparation. Marvel when God moves. If your life reflects these three things, you will experience God's all-encompassing and divine presence. Today, by faith, ask God for more of his spirit. Have yourself a personal Pentecost moment. When we close in this last song and we sing about the Holy Spirit, have yourself a Pentecost moment. And ask for more of the spirit of God. And he will give it. He will give it. He will give it. In fact, here's what I tell you to do, that as we begin to sing, I want you to do this. I want you to say quietly to yourself a simple prayer. Come, Holy Spirit. 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 That's the invitation before us. That's the call of God before us today. And if you're here and you're not yet a follower of the way of Jesus, I'd like to speak directly to you for just a moment. You see that invitation to make room for the idea that there is more to reality than that which can be measured or manipulated, it is one that I hope you would take seriously as well. Art, media, film, they all tell me that that the general sense of our host culture is a fascination with spiritual and even supernatural things. So if that is the case, why do we put limitations and proof points on God while believing in ghosts and other phenomena? Because curiosity about supernatural things still keeps us in control. But living your life in a way that reflects God's 
the supreme being of the universe whose supernatural presence requires trusting his will, well, that's another matter. And yet I believe that there are some today, you online, I believe there are some of you online, I believe there are some in this room today, right now, open to an answer and the possibility that life with Jesus by his spirit is better than life without him. If that is you today, I have good news. Because Jesus died for your sins and rose from death to give you his righteousness, today can be the beginning of life anew. Jesus invites you today to repent of rejecting his love and leadership and believe that he is the son of God, sent to rescue the world from itself, sent to open the door for the spirit to form a new family of many mother tongues. And when you trust Jesus and believe this, guess what? You get God's spirit deposited in you. The love of God is poured into your heart. You get a new sense of belonging. And I can tell you that that sense of his love is like nothing you will ever, ever experience in your life. And the beauty of it is that his love is inexhaustible. As many times as you come back for more, he has more to give. So my question to you, beloved, is will you trust Jesus today? Will you trust him? Will you trust him with all that you are? Listen, as we close our time, I want to reiterate once more that if you live with expectation that if you do the preparation, that if you marvel when God moves, you will experience God's divine presence in and through your life for your growth, for your joy, and for God's mission to see many who are far off come near to him. You will experience new supernatural spiritual gifts. You will walk in power and authority. And if you don't do those three things, then run-of-the-mill powerless faith is all you can expect because that's all that there is. Family, I want us to be a church that experiences the divine presence of God week in and week out when we are gathered and when we are scattered. And I got to tell you that if we want to accomplish our vision for this harvest discipleship journey over the next three years of seeing 300 people baptized and 2,000 guests and $6.4 million in generosity for the sake of the kingdom, if we want to accomplish that, then we must be a church regularly experiencing the all-encompassing divine presence of the living God because there's no other way that it's going to happen. So today, Pentecost has come to you. It's time for you to have your personal Pentecost moment so that you might have more of God's presence in his Father, we thank you for your word and for the power of your word, and we pray that you would seal it to our hearts. In Jesus' name.